ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. We love making this podcast. It's our favorite thing we do each week. We've received so many heartwarming messages from you about how our episodes are impacting you, and many of you are asking what you can do to support the show. Please tell your friends about us, share on Instagram or Facebook, let them know what you're learning. But the very best way to help is to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Head on over to soulful.mba slash iTunes to leave a rating and review. It only takes a moment. The more reviews we receive, the easier it will be for others to discover the podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. We look forward to seeing what you build online. Welcome to the Soulful MBA Podcast, Episode 68, Sally. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery, as well as our special guest for today, Sally McGraw. Now, Sally is not only a loved and valued member of our own team, she's also an entrepreneur in her own right. Sally is a freelance writer, so she works as a copywriter, a ghostwriter, an editor, and she has more than 15 years of professional experience in the field. Sally went to school to earn a degree in creative writing, but she worked for other businesses, media organizations, and nonprofits for many years before taking the deep dive into entrepreneurship. We want her to share that journey with you. I think many of you will find it deeply inspiring. And we also brought Sally on to share some writing tips. Writing is such a huge part of entrepreneurship these days, and Sally is a master at her craft. So without further ado, here is Sally McGraw. So welcome, Sally, to our podcast. Thank you. So Sally, before we get started on our official list of questions here, maybe you can share with our audience a little bit about your backstory and how you got into becoming a writer and a blogger. I would love to. Um, it's a very, I took a very circuitous route to what I'm doing right now. Um, so currently I work as an editor and a ghostwriter freelance full time, which I love. It is the most fun I've ever had in any job ever. Um, but it, it, again, I, it was a winding path to get here. Um, so I do have a creative writing degree and I came out of school thinking that I was going to be a music journalist. So I did that for about 10 minutes and quickly realized that while it led to phone interviews with some of my musical heroes, it made pennies. Like I was being paid $80 for a 2000 word cover story. And that's fun when you're 20, but as an ongoing thing, it just didn't seem viable. So I ended up working in marketing and communications for about 12 years. 
Um, and I kept changing jobs, but I wasn't really changing what I was doing. And I couldn't figure out like on my own, I was just too deep into it to see what was wrong. So at a certain point, my husband sat me down and bless his heart. He was like, look, you're changing what office you go to, but you're not actually changing the tasks that you do. So you need to do something radically different. What do you love? And I love animals. So I started an animal behavior degree, <laughs> having spent, yeah, I know, right? That's like I the kicker. Oh, um, wow. So, I didn't see that Yeah, I, I've been obsessed with animals and animal behavior since I was, I don't even know, five, um, but had done everything in my academic career to avoid math and science up to this point. So I was going back for a, another, a second bachelor's degree um, and had to go and take, you know, algebra and chemistry to get sort of the prereqs all in line. Um, and then some, some magical star alignment happened and I happened to land a job at the University of Minnesota where at the time, if you were an employee, you got free tuition. So I started on this degree um, and it was incredibly hard. Um, I could do it. I was getting decent grades, um, but physiology and statistics, uh, not really my jam, naturally speaking. Um, so and then I was working at the university foundation in communications and I had a coworker come up to me and say, um, you know, I love how you dress and I hate how I dress. Will you make me over? And I was like, yeah, I like telling people what to do. That sounds like fun. So I wrote up a list of sort of guidelines for her and handed it to her. And she literally said to me, this is great. People would love this. You should put this on a blog. And I was like, yeah, I should. And I, and as a person who had, struggled with body image for most of my life um, and figured out that I could feel better about my body without changing my body if I changed what I wore. I thought this is an opportunity for me to have a larger conversation with women about how style can impact body image. What year was this, Sally? 2007. So okay. a million years ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was a day of blogging in interviews over the years. People have said, how did you help explain your success? And I said, oh, it's timing. It's at least 70% timing. Like I got on that train at just the right time. Mm -hmm. If I had wanted to launch the same blog today, there's, I wouldn't even know how. So anyway, um, I wanted to have the conversation about the intersection of style and body image on a larger scale. So I started this blog. It was called Already Pretty. It still is. It's still up. Um, And I pursued that in tandem with this animal behavior degree. And at a certain point, the blog was doing really well and the degree was incredibly hard. And I was also very fortunate to have a great uh, guidance counselor. And I sat down with her and was like, what do I do? And she said, you do the blog, dummy. The degree will be here whenever. You've got to you know, follow this. It's blowing up for you. So um, after a few years, I was able to quit my full-time job and focus on the blog. And I built a business model around it. I was doing online and in-person style consultations. I had a monthly column for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. I live in Minneapolis. Um, and I had a weekly TV spot. Like I, I was hustling my butt off. Um, and in the end, <laughs> I, I guess we haven't gotten to the end yet. Um, after about nine years, I was just super done. You know, I'd been writing about this topic for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd learned a ton and I'd connected with amazing people. But after nine years, I had said everything that I wanted to say. I'd said a lot of it twice. And I just felt like I was no longer... I was phoning it in, you know, it just, it wasn't my passion anymore. Um, And I started to gradually introduce 
freelance editing and ghostwriting into my workflow and taper off the work that I did on the blog. And now the blog is still there. Like it has a nine year archive of really good content. Um, and so it's just recycling archived posts. Um, and I still get emails from people who have no idea that that's what it's doing. So I feel like it's still valuable to people and it's still, you know, helping women who feel like wear whatever you want is not sufficient advice for them to feel good in, in their daily lives. Um, but who struggle to feel good in their clothes can go and get information and advice and input. Um, and I've shifted my, my own work toward client work, which is a fantastic, wonderful. I, I, I talk to people who get frustrated doing the work that I do. I may just have the best clients in the world. I don't know, but I love helping people tell their stories. I love helping folks who either don't have the time or don't have the skills to articulate their messages fully, make sure that those messages get out exactly how they want them to. Um, so now I work on, you know, books, business books and memoirs and blog posts. And I'm, this year has some really cool stuff. I'm working on a manifesto. I'm working on an epic poem. <laughs> so it's, wow. I know I'm so stoked about that. Um, wow. So I, yeah, I, it's, I'm living the dream. I feel very, very fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. So my question for you, um, you are a ghostwriter. I know a, I know a couple other ghostwriters. And this whole idea of a, being a ghostwriter is terrifying to me. Like, I could not do that job whatsoever. But I'm so fascinated by those that do. And so when you have a new client and they're asking you to write something, like, what if you don't care about the topic or you're <laughs> not interested in it or like, or you don't know anything about it? Like, it just seems like such a hard job to me. I know it's not to you, but no, I mean, there's definitely challenges in it. And I feel like it's the challenge for me is not as much if the subject matter is like deathly dull to me, I'll just pass. Um, because uh -huh. I feel like if I'm going to be working with a client, either ongoing on, on their blog or on a big project like a book. Um, I don't want to do it half-assed. You know, I want to, I want to give them really good work and I want to uh, create a good representation of the subject, which they are passionate about, even if I am not. Um, it's, it's more of a challenge for me to capture tone. Um, writing under someone else's voice is, it's a tricky endeavor. Um, and you have to walk the line between giving them sort of what they believe they sound like and what they actually sound like. How do you tease that out? Like when you first bring a client on and to get that tone, how do you figure that out? It's a combination of reading things that they've written for themselves, actual conversations, usually on the phone or in person, um, and, and asking them. Because sometimes how they talk is not necessarily how they want to represent themselves in their business life. You know, they may, they may swear like a sailor if you're talking to them in person, but if they're, you know, an executive consultant, then they don't get to do that on their website. Um, so I do ask them, you know, what kind of tone do you want to use? And I also say, show me some examples of tone that you feel like aligns with what you want and tone that is very far from what you would like to represent you. And then some of it is just, you know, trial and error. I, I send them stuff and they say, I would absolutely never use this word. And I say, okay, we will never use that word again. And a lot of it is vocabulary stuff. Like there's people, mm -hmm. oh, wow, people are so sensitive about words. They're especially adjectives. Sometimes you throw in and they're like, never, never use that word again. So I just take copious notes and, and adjust as I fly. Oh, it's so fascinating. I have a question about the choice to go into 
ghostwriting, like when you were doing your blog and you had established this presence in the style world, I feel like mm-hmm. you could have taken it two ways. You could have taken it, well, now I'm just going to like not blog as much because I've said everything and I'm going to work one-on-one with, with clients on style consults, or mm-hmm. I'm going to leave this vertical of style and go write more. And so how did you decide which one of those paths to take once you knew you were done with the blog? I'm glad you asked that because although there was definitely an active choice on my part, there was also a, what I consider to be a fit issue. Um, I did try to cultivate more style consult clients. Um, However, my, my platform was such that the folks I was talking to are not the kind of people who can afford to hire a stylist four times a year. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I have friends who are stylists and they, they're brought in quarterly by their big clients, but they specifically targeted, you know, doctors and law firms and, and people who have a lot of disposable income, but not a lot of time. And the people reading my blog were just regular, you know, they were people working office jobs, people raising their kids. Um, So a couple hundred dollars was not something that they could do on the regular, um, which meant that it was always a one-shot deal. Nobody brought me back. And I, I pushed and I hustled and I advertised and I tried really hard and it did not happen for me. And I, at a certain point I felt like I need to, I need to examine this and, and understand what it means. And I, I decided that what it meant was that that just wasn't viable for me um, as an individual business person. Um, and, you know, like I said, I've, I've got a creative writing degree. I, I love writing. The blog sort of brought me back to actual writing. I had been doing communication stuff, which involved, you know, some writing, but a lot of it was coding and some of it was, you know, order buying print. Um, so, being able to to express my own opinion on a blog however I wanted was amazing and it rekindled my love for writing um, and it also gave me a platform and it gave me a, a path and it sort of said no no actually you can be a writer and I would not be able to do the work that I'm doing today if it hadn't been for the blog it really it set me up for success as, as I'm experiencing it now. Mm-hmm. So that blog also gave you uh, a new identity as an entrepreneur. Did you always see yourself as such or did that was that just sort of an evolution in your story? I never would have imagined this would work for me. I am a double Capricorn with Taurus rising and I love my routine. I like things to be stable. I go to the same restaurants. I order the same things every time. Um, and so a, a variable schedule with variable income, you know, mm-hmm. might my former self would have thought that would just turn me into a mess. And I'm a mess sometimes, you know, I mean, freelancing is, it's tough and it fluctuates and it's hard to um, anticipate when the fluctuations aren't going to hit. But my dad is an entrepreneur. He's an architect and launched his own firm 30 years ago. And he, he's one of my heroes. And so he has always been very excited to see me go down. I feel like I've gone down two different entrepreneurial paths at this point. There was the blog and the fashion stuff. And then now there's this writing stuff. Um, and his, his support has been huge for me. We, but it's really fun to sit around and talk with my dad about pricing and how to follow up with your clients. And I mean, our industries are incredibly different, but there's always overlap. Um, and I feel like I don't, I still feel like a lot of my success is sort of luck or happenstance and, or, or, you know, making great connections and those connections breed other connections because I don't 
actively advertise. Um, and I, and I love that. <laughs> like I, I have a lot of wonderful entrepreneurial friends who are kind of addicted to the hustle. And I want to sit in my office with my cat on my lap and write things while work comes to me. <laughs> and that's, you know, it, I'm, I've been doing this long enough that it has started to do that. But, um, but I feel like that makes me a bad entrepreneur. You know, I, I should, I should be on fire to, to be out there trying to figure out ways to get more and better business. But, uh, you know, I, I'm too introverted and too passive and too lazy for that, apparently. So we'll see where that <laughs> takes me in five years. <laughs> I think you're a smart entrepreneur. You are not a bad entrepreneur. And I think that de there's a definition that we all define for ourselves. And we, you do some work for us, and, and that's how we know of you. And Jenny found you through word of mouth, who she asked yeah. somebody else, and they suggested you, right? So there is nothing wrong with that kind of marketing. I know that word of mouth is tried and true. It's just not something that you can leverage strategically as far as I've been able to determine. You know, it just, it happens when it happens and you can't turn up the dial on it. It's just going to unfold organically. So you have to trust that it will work for you. Whereas more active marketing and active promotion of your services feels more courageous somehow. But I appreciate that, Sandy. I, I and, and I so appreciate referrals from from clients. I feel like much like you, when I get referrals, I think, oh, well, I don't even have to think about this. Let's let's go. Let's do this. I also think that your brand of entrepreneurship speaks to a lot of women in particular who maybe until recently wouldn't have seen themselves as entrepreneurs. And so we have a lot of listeners who are experienced professional women who are good at what they do, whether it's in the wellness sector or in other professional fields of service who are now starting, I think, because of the way the economy is shifting, um, are starting to see themselves more as entrepreneurs or feeling the call to entrepreneurship more. So I, I think sharing your story is, is very important because not everyone wants to like crush yeah. it, push it, sell, be on TV and sell and like drive a Lamborghini and like that's not what we do or what we want either right and so I think showing that there especially for women that there are different portraits available in this entrepreneurial landscape that they can right. step into is very important um, especially as the workforce is moving more and more towards a freelance focused workforce or a workforce where job security is um, either non-existent or it's certainly more iffy, right? And so I, anyway, I think sharing a story like yours is, is very helpful and inspiring to people. I hope so. I, and I want to say, I, I love that you both are putting out there some messaging around, um, you know, it seems like there's this set of rhetoric around being a successful entrepreneur, especially a solopreneur, especially a woman solopreneur that sort of says, follow this formula and it will lead to bales of money and tremendous success. And, and that is how the headlines are structured and that's how the promos are structured. And so it, it seems very real. And yet I have plenty of friends who have followed all of those formulas and gone down all of those paths and it has not led to piles of money and tremendous success. And they feel betrayed. You know, they feel like, wait a minute, this is working for a whole bunch of other people. Why isn't it working for me? And, you know, I had sort of similar experiences. I thought, well, I, you know, I'm doing okay here with this blog and with the style consults. So I should just 
pursue that. And it, it didn't work for me. And it, I had to sort of step back and, and go, just because this works for my friend Carly, who works with lawyers mainly, doesn't mean that it's going to work for me because my clientele is completely different. Um, and I, I want the conversation around entrepreneurship to be more inclusive of, yeah, you should try this, but if it doesn't work for you, it's not your fault. You know, I mean, it's not going to work for everybody um, and changed so that those messages about this is the way, take these 10 steps, blah, 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 doesn't feel so like, I feel that like that sets people up to feel like failures if it doesn't work for them. And they're not. This is what Kelly Deals has introduced to us. This is her whole body of work is that there's this female empowerment lifestyle brand that we're supposed to try to be. We look a certain way. We speak a certain way. We have success in a certain way. We market in a certain way. And it doesn't work for everyone. And so, and if we if we don't look like that, and if we don't have that success, we feel bad. Like it's shame. Like we're shamed, right? And so I think that that's, yeah. you know, obviously she's heavily influenced our thinking and our speaking. And this is exactly what she's teaching everyone and what you just yeah. described. So it's important. It's really important to show the alternatives and the reality. And to experiment with the alternatives too. I mean, we don't look like the founders of software companies either, right? Yeah. Like we're sitting here <laughs> recording this episode in video chat and we're all in our homes with all kinds of, you know, random stuff in the background, just being ourselves, like doing the work every day, right? And not necessarily looking like the caricature of what you would imagine we should look like in these roles that we play. And and so I think like being honest about that is important too. Yeah, That's why we have this podcast is to share these stories and to have these kinds of conversations because we're not hearing them other places. And so we want to have a place to have them. Yeah. Well, on that on that note, let's go down the brutal honesty road and I'll say, hello, everyone. I'm Sally. I don't usually take a shower until at least one o'clock in the afternoon. I have a subset of my wardrobe at this point that is entirely loungewear because I have two cats who insist on sitting on me all day long. And while I love the idea of like, you have to get up and get showered and put on your makeup and feel like you're totally at the office. Like I did that for a while. And at this point, I just feel like, wait a minute. I work for myself. I make my own hours. I don't take advantage of the fact that I can work in my PJs. What am I doing? What am I even doing? Like, I feel like there's also a subset of that shame that has to do with how you're presenting as an entrepreneur. Like, are you, how beautiful are your business cards? You know, what do you get fully dressed in a, you know, suit or dress every day to sit at your laptop and drink coffee and write things? Um, and I, I feel like, Oh, it's just, it's so, it's our, it's our natural human um, yeah, draw sure. to homogenous things, mm-hmm. you know, like we, right. we want one model mm-hmm. and the world is not like that. Diversity is not like that. There are diverse ways to look like an entrepreneur. There are diverse ways to structure your business. There are diverse ways to get dressed in the morning and sit down at your laptop. So I, I love that that conversation is opening up now. It's about time. (laughs) Yeah, true. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. 
So let's uh, switch gears. I would really like to hear about some of your writing habits. And one of the things I think is important for people to realize that as they go into business, regardless of what it is, what they do, how they work, the written word is everywhere and is necessary. And um, I don't think, I certainly didn't realize how important writing is to success because mm. you write Instagram captions, you write a blog, you write a video title, you write a video Podcast description, you write emails, you write copy on your website, Const- newsletters, everywhere, constantly, everywhere yeah. you are writing. And yep. so newsletters, like, and even if you are a, you know, if you prefer to have a vlog and maybe you are more comfortable on Facebook Live or sort of speaking, you still need to be a decent writer to promote whatever it is you're doing. So can you talk to us? I'd just be curious, um, because this is your profession, how do you set yourself up to avoid distraction, to give yourself some focused hours? What does that look like? What do you write in? I would love to know, you know, where are you actually writing and how you, you know, I'm going to have an hour, I'm going to sit down and write. What does that mean to you? Okay. Um, so I keep myself on task with Google Calendar. I will literally just chunk out time. It's I've got a color-coded system that tells me, you know, do I have to be out of the house to go meet with a client and talk something over? Is this a call or is this just sit at your desk and work, work time? Um, and I usually, I've learned over the years that everything is going to take approximately three to five times longer than I actually want it to. <laughs> so I may put five tasks on a single day with the knowledge that two of them are probably going to get bumped to a later day. Um, I, in order to keep myself on track, I always try to get my, uh, fin- or my drafts into my clients a day early because I figure that way, if I break my leg or, you know, the world explodes, then I will still have a little bit of lag time that I can use if I need it. Um, and, you know, I, I love what I do. I, I'm so lucky. I feel like I'm getting paid to go to school. I'm learning about, you know, the, the American economy and all these sort of subversive marketing tactics. And I'm learning about people's lives in Africa. And I mean, I, I think I'm motivated by just having amazing work to do. Um, so that's just me bragging and feeling very grateful for what I'm, what I'm up to these days Um, in terms of where it happens. um, As a ghostwriter, I feel like part of my job is to make my clients as happy and comfortable as possible. So I tend to tailor what I do to their, their needs. And I have some clients, I prefer to work in Google docs. I feel like it's just the ideal. I mean, there's the element of Google owns all of my things and can read all of my things at any time. So that's a little, eh. um, but it is just the ideal platform co- for collaborating on a document because it just makes, it makes commenting so easy. You can have conversations, you can tag someone in a comment and it sends them an email. You know, it's, it, you can track certain changes. Yeah it's seamless and wonderful and I just adore it. And you can also download from that into Word if someone wants you to email them the document when you're done. Um, so I'm usually in Google Docs, but I have clients who they just they just can't, you know, like it's, it's too hard or they don't understand it. And I could certainly walk them through a tutorial, but they'd just rather do it in what they're comfortable with. And that's mm-hmm. completely fine too. So it's a mixture of mostly Word and Google Docs. Does that answer your question, Sandy? I feel like, okay. Yeah, it sure does. Good. No, but I want to know too about distractions. Like oh. <laughs> when you sit down to write, yes. do you have to do anything to like turn off notifications or how do you get that uninterrupted writing time? Because you have deadlines. You've got to, you've got to finish this. 
I think Sally is just more disciplined than you, Sandy. I think that's the answer. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's my issue. It's just my issue. Well, so I would say the main strategy that I utilize is there's a difference in, in terms of writing tasks between, the, like, I do a whole slew of things. So I may be writing a blog post for someone or a workbook or web copy or working on a book. So if it's a blog post, that's something I need couple hours for maybe tops. Um, and that requires less focus and less brain space than working on a book, which is like a huge ongoing project. So what the way that I manage that is just with how much time I'll allot. So for instance, I'm working on several books for clients right now, and I try to put aside entire work days to do those books. Like I don't want to do that 20 minutes at a time. I want to do it five hours at a time. Um, and I'm the type of person who it may take me two hours of farting around on Facebook and drinking coffee and, you know, procrastinating. But once I'm in the zone, nobody interrupts. Like my husband comes home and he's like, Oh, okay. I'll be back in a few hours. (laughs) It just leaves me because I'm, I'm very focused. Um, And I, I feel like I'm also a a rare breed. You know, they talk about morning people and and night, night owls. I'm an afternoon person. My ideal working time is between two o'clock and six o'clock. And then everything other than that is going to be less good. So I try to schedule if I need to do some really top notch, hardcore creative work, I schedule it for the afternoon. Um, Whereas if it's something lighter, I can put it in the morning and it'll be, I'll knock it up quickly and it'll be fine. Um, But I, I, I am luckily very focused. So I don't have a, I don't use timers. Like I don't mute things, but I also don't have a lot of like, people don't text me very much. So that's not really a problem. (laughs) I'm not on Twitter and I don't have any alerts for any of that stuff. So it's mostly just email. And I a hundred percent look at my email 9 million times a day. (laughs) At least you're honest. Yeah. (laughs) I want to make sure we get to ask you about your creative live teaching opportunity yes yes. that is so amazing the story about that because (laughs) so folks should know that sally was recently teaching a class on creative live called how to write a killer book proposal which i just checked as you were talking and 6.5 thousand students have already gone through the program (laughs) which is amazing and so i'm curious how you went about preparing for that and also what you're doing now to leverage that opportunity. So what do you do now to sort of, I mean, here's the entrepreneurial question. I hope there's an answer to this, Sally, that you're doing something to get these people. I'm super not. Um, So, and I'll be really honest about that, whether that will be a wise plan or not will bear out, I'm sure. Um, So I, I got that gig from a referral, a friend, they asked a friend of mine if she could do it and she couldn't. And she said, you should talk to Sally. So they approached me for their first annual writing week. Um, And in terms of how I prepared for it, creative live actually has very templated. Like they, they Mm. ideally they want to give you a template and have you fill in the blanks. And I was a hundred percent fine with that because a book proposal is, I mean, A book proposal can be whatever you want it to be, but there are a set of sections that you can reliably create and give to any literary 
agent or any editor and they'll know what it is and appreciate the information that it's providing. So I was teaching a formula. So it was totally fine with me to have boring slides and, you know, fill in blanks. Um, and their teams are so lovely. It was just great to work with them. They, um, they gave me all the resources I needed. They were super supportive. The studio is gorgeous. Um, and everyone was incredibly friendly and constantly told me to calm down. <laughs> and I mean, I've, I have a background in performing, so I'm, I'm, once the camera's rolling, I'm fine. But right up to then, I want to barf. So I was very, you know, anxious. And then once it started going, I was fine. Um, and I've gotten good feedback on it. I feel like um, comparatively, like it, the classes that led up to it were, you know, how to unblock your writer's block and tap into your deep creativity. And now I'm here, I'm like, there is a formula for book proposals. <laughs> um, so it felt a little dry <laughs> and and factual compared to some of the other classes. But but um, it, I feel like it's been really helpful to people. It's it's information that's available. You know, it's, I'm not telling a lot of industry secrets, um, but it really does help. I, I I always want someone to explain things to me. I would much rather have that than try and figure it out on my own. Um, and the class also, I got two literary agents to weigh in um, during the course of the class, which I think is great because even if someone wasn't real fond of me, they at least got input from real industry folks too. Um, so that's that's that. That was in January and the class is still available. In terms of what I'm doing for it, it is nothing because <laughs> um, Creative Live's payment structure is um, typically you would get, I think, 20% of uh, the fees that people pay. I was paid a flat fee. So I really don't have a lot of incentive to push the course. Um, and while I love it and feel like it's valuable, writing book proposals is also a service that I offer. And so it's sort of a mixed bag. You know, do I want to push people towards the class so they can write their own book proposal or do I want to help them do it myself? And I have gotten one client so far who is he's gone through the class and done the rough draft and I'm consulting with him on polishing it up. Um, but it hasn't it hasn't yielded a lot of questions or queries from folks. Um, and because I don't have the blog anymore, I don't really have a giant platform to push it out to. You know, I can tell my friends, but uh, the blog readers are there for style and body image advice, not book proposal advice. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's, I'm, I'm doing virtually nothing. I mean, I have a couple little ads here and there, but I'm not doing a lot. I have some ideas for you, Sally. Oh, we can talk about this offline. Okay. Awesome. Let's do that. <laughs> For any of you who are thinking about putting together a book proposal, you should head over to Creative Live. It is $39. Yep. And I'm sure there are often like often sales on oh, Creative yeah. Live classes. And so especially because Sally's already been paid her flat rate, you should try to get it on sale. <laughs> so but I'm yeah. sure it's worth the full $39. For sure. And way more. And it does have a 100% recommendation rate <laughs> as well when I just checked earlier today. So I just think that's so exciting. So many people watch classes on creative live and I know so many friends who are like I would do anything to teach a class on creative live and so you know I think it's just you know big props to you for getting asked to do that and you know it just showcases your talent as a writer Thank you. and as a professional in this industry that you were able to put that together thanks it was I, I really enjoy teaching I feel like this was a challenge for me because I would prefer to teach people by just coming in and saying I know about this subject ask me whatever you want because I always always yeah. want what I teach to be tangibly useful to the people to whom I'm teaching it. Um, and they didn't want lots of questions. So I had to just 
talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, we had a couple, but I, I would have been a lot happier if there had been a nice, long, juicy Q&A session. So, um, and to that end, you know, if anybody listening has questions about writing, ghostwriting, freelancing, anything, by all means, let them reach out to me. I would love to field questions offline too. Yeah. And we'll include links to contact you in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. All right. We are going to move into Proust's questionnaire with you, which okay. you don't know about. So I'm going to run through um, some questions you are going to answer quickly. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Ready? Guess so. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Feeling satisfied and sated. What is your greatest fear? Bugs. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm supposed to not react to the answer. <laughs> which, which living person do you most admire? My father. What is your greatest extravagance? I pay someone to clean my house every week. <laughs> Me too. It's the greatest. It is. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? It varies. It seems like right now I'm saying 100% kind of a lot. <laughs> so we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Which talent would you most like to have? I wish I could rap. <laughs> Oh my God, that's really funny. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I can sing, but I cannot rap. Oh, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Uh, I would be less anxious. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? Uh, I would be a badger. Can you explain that one? Sure. Um, so I <laughs> I mentioned that I love animals quite a bit. Badger is sort of my main totem animal. Um, they are members of the weasel family, small but mighty. I, again, I'm a triple earth sign, so I'm very earthy. I'm into digging things. So um, so I feel very close to the badger. And I'm, I'm in the process of getting a full back tattoo right now. And oh badger figures prominently into that. So That yeah. is so funny because I had uh, spirit animal done and it was weasel and I was I'm still I'm still reeling from it really it like a secondary animal. weasel yeah. it's like a bad thing you no 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 you know that weasel encompasses badgers skunks otters all fishers like yeah otters yeah. people are always and like it, otters oh good all weasels aren't weasels. yeah those are cute those are cute oh my goodness now I'm lost my track here what do you most value in your friends patience who are your favorite writers? Oh, this is hard. Um, you know, a lot of my favorite writers are comedy writers. Um, mm. Eddie Izzard is a huge, huge one for me. What are you reading right now? Uh, right now I'm reading The Power by Naomi Alderman, which if you haven't heard of or read it yet, you 100% must mm, okay. do so. And I'm going to give you the synopsis because I want your listeners to know too. Um, it's a book about... Uh, a, a time period in the near future where all teenage girls harness the power of electricity through their bodies so they can control the electric pulses oh. of their bodies through just their minds. And it's mostly, it's all teenage girls. They can awaken it in older women and, and are in this book. Um, so it creates a world where uh, women can live without fear because they can defend themselves against basically anything. Um, so the author goes immediately into, you know, here's a, a foster girl who was repeatedly raped by her foster father. And now she can, she can handle that. Um, and, you know, this is what happens in predominantly Muslim countries where women have been, you know, repressed in various ways for centuries and here's how they handle it. And I, my, 
my understanding is that eventually it's going to sort of examine the ultimate power corrupts kind of aspects of things. Um, but at this point, it's just painting a picture of a world where women aren't afraid. And honestly, just reading it and talking about it and thinking about it, it's so emotional for me because I feel like, why why don't we live in that world? Why can't we have this? Why, mm-hmm. why are there so many women who live in fear every day of their lives? It's just, it's fundamentally awful and unfair. So the book is, I'm, I love it tremendously as you can probably tell, <laughs> but wow. Yeah. I'll have to check too. it out. Yeah. And I, you know, like as, cool. as a writer, I feel like this is, I'm a, maybe a bad writer in this way because I don't, I mean, I read voraciously, but I don't have lots of favorite books. Like I don't even have that many books. I read a book and then I either give it to someone or I donate it because books are just, I love them, but they're not precious to me in the way they are to a lot of writers. Um, so I don't have a, you know, a laundry list of writers that I love, unfortunately. No, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. One last question. What is your favorite rock band? Uh, Lucius. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Okay. And the final part of our podcast is where we dive into the joy and hustle. So if you will share a resource for our listeners that will bring them joy and also a tool to help them hustle. Honestly, if you want to uh, get more joy in your life, especially in your uh, Facebook life, you should follow my friend and tattoo artist, Katie Crick, <laughs> and I can spell out her name. She posts the best memes. Most of them are animal memes. You'll be unsurprised to hear. Um, but there are lots of other ones, too. Like she, Sandy. Katie makes Facebook worthwhile for me. Like I can wade through all of the political stuff that makes me want to crawl in a hole and die because she's, you know, showing me guinea pigs eating grapes or something like 25 times a day. <laughs> so that's a little weird, but like that's the first thing that came to my mind. So I'm going with it. Can you spell her last name? It's Katie spelled K-A-T-I-E and Crick is K-R-O-E-C-K. She's also the best tattoo artist in the universe and is coming to Seder with me tonight. So a good friend. Um, and then for, for Hustle, I would say use the co-schedule headline analyzer is a pretty amazing tool. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I use it almost every day for my clients to give them, um, it it assigns a number value to your headlines based on how SEO friendly they are, um, which is fantastic because SEO is very important and which is also horrible because it makes you write the same headline over and over again. Like if you don't put how to at the front, you're not going to get over 60 and then you're going to feel like a failure. Um, so, but you know, if you are creating content that you want to be organically indexed, then your headline is a huge part of that formula. So having an idea, like I've learned a lot about how to structure headlines and what words really, you know, ping the right machinery so that that a headline gets a good rating. Um, (laughs) So if you feel like, you know, the writing that you're creating for your own brand needs some help in the headline department, it's a really good tool. Thank you so much for your time, Sally. I know that our listeners will enjoy this conversation. And so could you just let folks know where to find you online? Sure. Um, The best place is my website, which is sallymcgraw.com. McGraw is M-C-G-R-A-W. And there's a there's everything is there. You'll find more information about me than you could ever possibly want, including a contact form um, and some 
testimonials from folks. And uh, I would, again, I would be totally happy to field any questions for anybody has about writing, freelancing, fashion. I'll try. It's honestly, that part of my brain is starting to atrophy already, but <laughs> I'll do what I can. There you have it, folks. Thank you so much, Sally. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Are you struggling to find the time to build your business? We are constantly asked how we do it all. Between running multiple software companies, serving on the boards of nonprofit organizations, raising children, and finding time for ourselves, we've had to develop specific habits and strategies to fit it all in. Entrepreneurship has been the most empowering thing we've ever done, and we are determined to not let overwhelm and inefficiency prevent you from experiencing the same magic in your life. Learn the specific techniques we've used to build our businesses in our Make Room for Magic course. Learn how to simplify your life and create space for your business for only $97. In just a few short hours, you'll be able to find the hidden pockets of time in your day that will allow you to make your dreams come true. You can learn more at makeroomformagic.com. Da, 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 da.